Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, January the 27th, 2023. It is currently 2.30 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. I, I, on one hand, I guess I should not act shocked, surprised. I should not be in dismay. I mean, it's just standard operating procedure, right? Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. And guess what? We within the world of Christianity, those of us in the church, those of us inside Christianity, guess what? We can't agree on how to even interpret Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, even though we have 2,000 years of church history And our own lives and the lives of all of those around us who claim to be Christians, who you think just all of that evidence would say, I I think that's probably a a good way to understand Romans chapter 7, just based on the reality we see. But I guess we're supposed to ignore the reality we see and interpret Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25 in a way that denies that reality. And not only a way that denies that reality, I think it even denies how the chapter ends. That's my own personal opinion. But let me explain where we have been, and hopefully we can bring this to an end. We will probably do maybe one or two more episodes maybe in this series, so that you know, just so that you know, on the Church One app and the Sermons 2.0 app, Sermons 2.0 Church One app, we have now created a series, Romans chapter 7, saved or unsaved, question mark, parts one, two, three, and four. This will be part five. I have created the series. You can find the series if you go and look. Currently, there's no sermons. I have no idea why. They've been added. I have emailed support and go, uh, I added the sermons. Then I deleted the sermons. I re-added the sermons. They're not showing up. So hopefully that problem will be fixed shortly and you will have access. I mean, the sermons are available on the Church One app and the Sermons 2.0 app. The sermons, or when I say the sermons, the podcast episodes are available there. They're just not inside the series that we created for them. So you can still find them and still listen to them, but we'll try to, we're going to try to organize them all into one series so that everyone can go listen to this. Well, what, we've gone over four hours of working through this, but this is what happened. Uh, a podcast called Theology and the Raw did a podcast episode where they were calling into question how we interpret Romans chapter 7. They were they were calling it into question and according to their perspective, according to their hypothesis, according to their theory, according to their thesis, in Romans chapter 7 verses 14 through 25, what is being described is not a saved person, but an unsaved person. Now, they they kind of go back and forth. Is that Paul describing himself? Well, no, if it is Paul describing himself, he's describing himself before he was saved. However, it may not even be Paul describing himself. It could be Paul pretending to be someone else. He's, he's playing a character. He's creating a character. 
So and either and either which way, whichever way you go, their argument, their main the main point of their theory, the main point of their thesis is Romans seven fourteen through twenty five is not describing a saved person; it is describing an unsaved person because basically, according to them, a saved person would not be described in the language of Romans seven fourteen through twenty five because that's not the Christian life. Now, at the, they, so they basically tried to claim that the Christian life is one where we don't struggle with sin. We, we, the things we don't want to do, we don't do. And the things we want to do, we do because we can, we are the boss. We're the boss over sin. We can say no to sin. We can say yes to God. We've been set free. We're overcomers. But then somewhere in the podcast episode, they then finally admitted, well, I mean, a Christian could experience Romans 7, 14 through 25. And I mean, yes, we still sin. And yes, we will continue to sin. So on one hand, we're the boss and we can say no. And Romans 7 doesn't describe us. But then somehow <laughs> they back they backtrack and say, well, wait, 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 wait. It could be us. So I, I don't even really know exactly what their position is. Um yeah, someone said it sounded like they didn't know what to think most of the time. Well, it was very frustrating because they came across like basically other people just don't know how to read Romans 7. Luther, Calvin, Augustine, all of them, they they, they didn't understand how to read it. They were just reading their theology into it. But we, we know the clear way to understand it. And they said it's clear. And it's the, and, and they were very dogmatic. There's only one right way to understand Romans 7, 14 through 25. And that is to understand it's describing a lost person because saved people aren't described this way. I mean, well, they're kind of described that way in 1 Corinthians 3, but that doesn't really count. But then even after they really made this strong argument that as Christians, we're set free and we can say no to sin and we're the boss, they slowly but surely had to admit we still sin <laughs> and that we can, as Christians, actually experience Romans 7, 14 through 25. But then they try to say it would only be like for a short period of time, I guess. I It was so like on one hand, they come across. How can I say this? And, and I and I want to make sure I say this in a correct way. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, they kind of came across uh, across this way. Hey, we've studied Romans. We have a P, or one of them. We have a PhD, and one of and one of them has written a book on Romans or, or whatever the case. Like, and almost like we have the knowledge. We know, and most scholars agree with us, and so anyone else who reads it differently, it's because either you don't have a PhD, or you don't know Greek, or you haven't read all the scholars. But if you knew Greek, had a PhD, and read all the scholars, you would know that obviously Romans 7, 14 through 25 is describing an unsaved person. Because saved people, and again, just I want you to just understand, once you put forth this argument and you take it to its logical conclusion where you end up, all right? So let me read Romans 7, 14 through 25, all right? Here we go. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I'm doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Here's someone who doesn't want to do the wrong thing. They hate doing the wrong thing. Supposedly that's a lost person, right? They, they, but they end up doing what they hate. Now, if I, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. 
Now, does sin still live in you? Does sin still live in me? Either you have to believe in the complete eradication of the old nature, but if you say sin nature is still there, then sin still is living in me. And because sin is still living in me, guess what that's going to lead to in a Christian? If we understand Christianity involves repentance, and if we understand repentance primarily as a change of mind, I've changed my mind about God and about sin. I understand it. No, I don't want to do this anymore because I know it's a sin. And, and I believe that that's God's word and I want to do what it says. But sin still lives in me. So guess what I find? On one hand, in my mind, I'm thinking a certain way and want to do the right thing. But in my sin nature that still lives within me, I constantly find myself sinning. In fact, the sin nature living in me has so much control that it completely stops me from ever being sinless and I cannot be perfect. So sin is going to be present in my life continually. So this weird dichotomy, this kind of conflict has to be the reality of the Christian life unless you remove the sin nature. Sin still lives in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh, like in my flesh, right? My flesh is still corrupted. It's still sinful. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. Now, there's no ability to do good perfectly. You know that and I know that. You can say, no, 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 as a Christian, you can do it. Well, then you can do it perfectly. Well, no, you can't do perfectly. Well, then you've admitted, you've immediately limited the ability and you've admitted that that ability, whatever you claim it is, cannot get you to perfection, cannot get you to sinlessness. So, and guess what? I think even with the supposed ability you claim we have, whatever good you do is never purely good because it comes out of you, which has a sinful nature. So even our good is always tainted and corrupted by sin. That means even our good works are nothing more than filthy rags before a holy God. For I do not the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I'm no longer the one that does it, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin and the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He will ultimately rescue me from this body of death. He will. Glorification, not in the meantime. And so then look at how Paul ends. After going through that back and forth through Romans 7, 14 through 24, he ends 25, literally ending it, describing the very situation, the reality of the Christian life. Are you ready? Here we go. Here we go. So with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. He literally ends describing this weird contradiction in the life of a believer. That on one hand, I know what's right. On one hand, I know the word of God. I want to serve God. I want to love God. I want to do what's right. But in my flesh, sin still remains. The corrupting influence of depravity is still, depravity is still there. It doesn't go away until glorification. 
So I'm going to have this, I know what's right. I want to do what's right, but I sin and I sin and I sin and I sin and I sin. I don't know how Christians can't just acknowledge this reality. You say, but wait a minute. There's passages in the Bible that seems to describe that I'm completely free, that I'm a new creature. The old is gone and everything is new. And I would say, amen. The Bible uses lots of that language. So how do we understand it? Here's how we understand it. In Christ Jesus, in Christ, in my position, because I am saved by an imputed righteousness, not an infused one, an imputed one, What's accredited my, to, to my account is perfect obedience, righteousness, and holiness. So in Christ, guess what I am? I'm a new creature. The old is gone. All things are new. Clearly, that can't be true practically because not all things are new. And the old is not completely gone because I still have an old nature. You can't say that it pra- in practice, I've been completely set free because guess what? If I was completely set free, then I could be holy and I could be perfect but I can't. So therefore I'm not free, (laughs) but I am completely free in my position because I am seen through the imputed righteousness of Christ, which therefore I'm perfect. I'm holy. I'm free. I'm without sin. That, That is the weird contradiction of the Christian life. On one hand, I am holy, righteous, perfect, free from sin, a new creature. That's true positionally. In practice, at the exact same time, I'm a sinner with a sin nature who falls short 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They have yet to even mention imputed righteousness, and they seem unwilling to acknowledge this weird conflict within the Christian life. But what's interesting, as much as they've tried to push back, slowly but surely they had to admit it. Well, we're still going to sin. I mean, we, I mean, it's, it is possible for a Christian to live a little bit like Romans 7, 14 through 20. Like they, 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 as much as they denied it, they found themselves having to come back and admit to it to some level. You know why they have to admit to it in some level? Because if anyone was to examine their lives, they would find out that, guys, you keep sinning. You sin in thought, word, and deed. You sin internally and externally. So why are you out here on a podcast acting like we're all free and that we're no longer carnal? We're still carnal because we have a sinful nature. So I I, I reach now part five where we're going to conclude listening to this episode of Theology in the Raw and continue to review it. But I feel like I've now said the same thing 500 times. And that's frustrating, but they've not even, they haven't even tried to understand that position. They threw, literally, they threw Augustine, Luther, and Calvin just under the proverbial bus as you can't trust them because they interpret Romans 7 based off their theology, not based off exegesis. They don't know how to exegete the text. But the people we can trust is Origen, Jerome, and Erasmus. What in the world? And and the majority of biblical scholars who will remain unnamed, and we don't know, and we don't know if that majority is fifty one percent, forty or fifty two percent, sixty seven percent. We don't know. And then they kind of walk through the text and they're like, see, 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 it's right here. And every time they are like, see, see, it's right here. I'm like, you do realize that there are value. Listen, even if you disagree, 
there are just as there there is another way to understand it that you would have to consider just as much as a possibility as your way of interpreting them. How like I can go through Romans 7, 14 through 25 and interpret it through my lens. You may say my lens is wrong. Then you can come and interpret it through your lens. But both of them are, let's say, let's say possible interpretations. So let's say we have two interpretations that appear to be possible. Okay, then what do we turn to? I turn to everyone's Christian life. And everyone's Christian life is a never-ending struggle of the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. That is the reality of every believer, no matter how much they deny it, no matter how much they cover it up, no matter how much they clean up the outside of the cup, no matter how much they clean up the tombstone, the corruption is inside of them, and they know it and they feel it unless they redefine what sin is so they convince themselves that they're not sinning. But just convincing yourself you're not sinning doesn't change the fact that you're sinning. <laughs> All right? So we're going to finish this. I'm sorry that we've gone so long. I, I have to keep going long on these reviews just to kind of show you where we are in all of this. But here we go. We're just going to jump back in. There's no easy, smooth transition. We are 43 minutes into this. I, I mean, that's why I have to spend 17 minutes trying to review this. I, I really do to try to get us all on the same page. Uh, but here we go. And I hate doing that. But um, I, I, don't, I don't hate doing this because I need to restate this over and over and over until I'm sure everyone has it down. But here we go. Let's jump back in. This is an episode of Theology in the Raw where they're trying to claim that Romans 7, 14 through 25 is describing an unsaved person. And Paul could either be describing himself when he was unsaved or Paul is just pretending to be someone else. But the one thing they seem dogmatic about, there's no way it's describing a saved person because saved people don't struggle. Saved people just obey God's law. That's that's the only other conclusion you can come to. All right, here we go. Keep going. And we probably have to sp maybe speed yeah. up walking through the passes. But what are some other statements that you're like, yeah, this cannot be describing a, a believer? Yeah. So if we keep going on, um, so uh, it, the the thing I, I don't know. You had this idea of Paul saying, "I don't know what I do," um, and uh, we, it, it's hard to think Paul not understanding and knowing what he he does um, because we we see to, to seem that. He understands exactly what he does. He says in uh, Corinthians, uh, we're not, uh, we, we understand uh, the enemy's thing. And then he's going to talk about, it's not me, but sin dwelling within me. Um, and so here we have this idea of sin still living inside of Paul's life. Now, nowhere else in scripture do we have this idea of sin dwelling still hmm. in the believer. And so. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. They believe in the complete eradication of the old nature. Sin no longer dwells in a believer. Nowhere else in scripture do we have this idea that sin continues to dwell inside a believer. The basis of their interpretation of Romans 7, 14 through that, there you have it. You're like, they're trying to act like they know Greek. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm take that back. They're acting like because they know Greek, they're not acting like they know Greek. Because they know Greek, 
because they have read some biblical scholars, because there's some people in church history who agrees with them, they're trying to act like that's the reason. And because of their exegetical skills, that's the reason they've come to the conclusion that Romans 7, 14 through 25 is not about a saved person. No, 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 no. That right there is the dead giveaway. They don't believe that sin still entwells a believer, that there's no sin inside of us. The sin nature is gone. So if there is no sin inside of us and the sin nature is gone, you would have to acknowledge the possibility and probability of perfect Christians. This really summarizes their entire point. I'm going to back that up just a little bit more. Here we go. He's going to talk about it's not me, but sin dwelling within me. I mean, so here we have this idea of sin still living inside of Paul's life. Now, nowhere else in Scripture do we have this idea of sin dwelling still Mm. in the believer. And so I I don't even know if that's the idea. It seems like when Christ takes the throne, he's going to kick uh, sin out the door uh, to the curve. Uh, But um, everywhere else, we don't see Paul saying. There you have it. When Christ takes the throne in your life, he kicks sin out. So sin is gone. Ladies and gentlemen, are you happy that on this Friday, January the 27th, 2023, we now know that sin no longer lives inside of us. You have been completely set free, so go forth and be perfect and demand that everyone in your church is perfect and demand that you yourself is perfect. I, I, I Look, I, I, it frightens me. It's some kind of weird, like when you can say that and believe that no sin is inside of you, what kind of utter denial of reality is that? Be the scriptures, be ye holy as God is holy. Any, any, any deviation, any lack of conformity to holiness is sin. I mean, yeah, someone just said, uh, kick that sin out the door, except when I sin, which is a lot, or always. Well, my issue is, where, why, why do they continue to sin if there's no sin inside of them? Then they've got, this is full-blown Pelagian. I, I, hmm. See, th- this is just a form of Pelagianism. Pelagius said that we didn't have the, the you know, original sin. We didn't have a depraved nature. They're just carrying the, that Pelagian idea over to, hey, now that you're a believer, you no longer have a depraved nature. They may believe that the p- depraved nature existed prior to salvation, but now they're just kind of bringing the Pelagian idea over like, it's gone. You're free. And remember, Pelagius believed there, there could be perfect people even without regeneration. I... I feel like we've spent 44 minutes. They could have said this right at the beginning. Why couldn't they just said this at the beginning? Look, ladies and gentlemen, here's our approach to Romans 7, 14 through 25. No matter what it seems to say, we know it can't be true because there is no sin inside of your, the people you're listening to. The, the, the two hosts of this program, we want you to know we have no sin inside of us. And if you're out there and you still have sins inside of you, guess what? You're not a Christian. Oh, so, okay, that's a, that's a good point. <laughs> so if, if there's no sin inside of us and Christ has took the throne of our life and kicked sin out, so then is it Christ, the one leading us to sin? <laughs> that's a pretty good question. That's a pretty good question. If you go with their, if you go with their logic, 
if you go with their logic, and I'm sorry if I sound distracted here, I'm opening up the uh, Spreaker app so I can uh, make sure I don't miss any comments. Um, that 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 would be a uh, a good explanation, or be a good question. That would be a good question. So then, I mean, how does this work, right? How does this work? Christ moved in, kicked sin completely out. There's no more sin inside of us. Christ is on the throne, but I still sin. So either they don't sin ever. So why did they just start the podcast? Ladies and gentlemen, we would like to inform you, you're listening to a podcast not hosted by sinners. We once were, but we no longer are because Christ moved into our lives and kicked sin out. We don't sin. Now, for the rest of you losers who are still sinning, it's because you never got saved. Because if you will get saved, Christ will move in and kick sin out. And so the church is literally supposed to be a place of absolute and complete perfection. Oh, man. that that, that I And do you see why they were so dismissive of 1 Corinthians 3? Now you see why they didn't even want to deal with it? Oh, he's just kind of being ironic. He's just kind of being funny. He's just kind of be, you know, he, he doesn't really mean that they're carnal or fleshly. He didn't really mean that. I mean, even though everything going on in the church of Corinth showed that they were carnal and fleshly, he didn't, they didn't really mean that. Because guess what, guys? We don't have sin in us anymore. Not I, but X. It's not sin. So we see, for example, his very first autobiography, Paul says, it's no longer I, but Christ that lives within me. And so we see that uh, this contradicts what we see in Galatians chapter 2, which uh, one of the not Paul group brought out. Uh, we see it, um, the not I, but X paradigm in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. It's no longer I. Um, sorry, I, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm abnormally born. Uh, not, um, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And uh, mm. it's not I that works it, but it's, it's Christ that's working it inside of me. Um, and so this idea of uh, sin controlling Paul so that he can't do what he wants to do that's indwelling inside of that, there's nothing good in me, uh, it, it seems to stand in stark contradiction to what we saw in Romans uh, chapter 6. Even this idea, uh, I am a wretch, um, uh, th- this word for wretch was often used uh, for someone who was absolutely in bondage uh, to sin uh, that was there. And, and if he let's back it up to verse 23. He talks about not only being sold as a captive to sin, but um, uh, but I see another law that's working in my members that is making war with the law of my mind and uh, taking me captive uh, with the law of sin. And so that, that's working in my members. Again, reading in a context, we see in Romans 6, this members, the bodily uh, body parts are all over where Paul says, no longer use your instruments, uh, your, your members, uh, for unrighteousness, but instead use it for righteousness. And then so uh, when Paul says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Paul knows who's going to rescue him from this mm. body of death, right? It's Jesus. And so. And Jesus will rescue me from this body of death. It's called glorification because I still live in this body with a sinful nature until then. I, I I just don't understand how you can deny the reality of sin inside of a believer. How can you reach a point of such delusion that you're like, hey, we no longer have sin inside of us. Sin is completely gone. I mean, the verses talk about Christ being inside of us. So clearly there can't be sin inside of us. I'm in Christ Jesus. 
My position is no sin. My practice is sin still remains. I, I don't know how you can deny that. Then we have uh, what many people would be on the other argument uh, that uh, what we see in verse 25b, uh, verse 25, uh, where he says, but thanks be to God uh, through right. Christ. And so we have this phrase. And so Paul answers it. And so even Origen says, and, and those who follow Origen said at this point, Paul can't stand it anymore. He, he can't. Uh, he, and so he takes off the mask for a moment and says, oh, OK. So in verse 25, Paul's like, I can't I can't pretend anymore. I can't pretend. And you know why we know this? Because Origen said it and we should go with everything Origen said. Ladies and gentlemen, we should just follow Origen. Oh, no, 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 no. I bet you they wouldn't follow Origen on everything, but we should follow Origen on Romans 7. Okay, what, whatever. All right, all right, here we go. Ooh, thanks be to God. Now, the last time we see this phrase, thanks be to God, is in chapter 6, where he says, you formerly were enslaved to sins, but thanks be to God that now you walk um, and, and you've been delivered over to the pattern of the teaching that we have. And so, go ahead. So 25A is where he comes up for a quick breath and yeah. reflects on what he's been saying from a Christian perspective. That's the only time, though, that he does that, right? That's right. Yeah, so even, so, even 25B, he's kind of summarizing, so then, with my mind, I myself am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh to the law of sin. And some people there, that's where some people read in the already not yet. They're like, see, this is clearly a Christian, because he, what non-Christian would say, he's a slave to the law of God. I'm like, Every single first century Jew would say that. <laughs> like, exactly. and, and I exactly. think this is the yeah. number one reason why modern Christians think this is a believer is because they don't, they're not approaching the passage from the category of a first century Jew. Because the main, one of the main arguments I hear people say is like, well, what non-believer would say they delighted the law? Again, I would say exactly. every single first century Jew would say that. <laughs> like, mm. the whole yeah. point is not Paul talking about just an abstract non-believer. He's talking about. A, a Jew trying to be free from the law of Moses and finding it not having the power to liberate. Only the spirit can liberate from, from sin. Is that, I mean, yeah, for sure. On that? So Will, Will Timmons has an article that says that the Psalmist Psalm 119 is the eyes, the, 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 the person here, his doppelganger. Cause you see that Psalm 119 is. So Psalm 119 is written by a lost person. Psalm 119 was written by a lost person. So every person, every Jew in the Old Testament who said, I love the law of God was lost. Is it not possible that you could have first century Jews who loved the law, the law of God who had had been believing in God had been be like I like I don't understand how you do this like like are you saying so now you're going to go to Psalm one nineteen say he's the dopp doppelganger of Paul because wait so the the, the writer of Psalm one nineteen was lost I, I I'm having a hard time understanding were people were Jews in the Old Testament were any of them saved. I love the law. Give me some more law. I can't get enough of your law. Yeah. Law, law, law. Love it, love it, love it. I want to rub, rub it all over me. Um, but, uh, but, but, it, it, but he also. <laughs> it's so funny, right? It, wait, so are you claiming that the writer of Psalm 119 was lost? 
I, I'm, I, that seems to be the implication. See this, the guy in Psalm 119, he kept saying, I love the law. I love the law. Rub it all over me. I love the law. <laughs> it's so funny. So the, I, I, I want to make sure I understand this. When we read Psalm 119, we're reading the words of a lost person. Okay. I, I, I guess who, who, who they love God's law, but as a lost person, that's their argument. So, so when, the, so Psalm one night or so Romans seven twenty five can't be a, 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 a say, uh, can't be that of us. It, it, Romans seven twenty five can be a lost person saying that they love God's law inwardly because Psalm one nineteen is a lost person who loved God's law. Also has this idea that he can't obey the law and it even ends with this confession. And so, uh, I, he, he argues that, um, if you want to understand Romans 7, you need to understand. We can't obey God's law. Are they literally claiming that we can obey the law of God? Are they literally claiming this? God's law demands perfection. Are you literally saying you perfectly obey? You love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You love your neighbor as yourself, and you're holy as God is holy? Are we literally hearing Christian podcasters claim absolute obedience to the law of God? And that the writer of Psalm 119 was a lost Jew who just happened to love God's law. This, this thing is gone. I, I, I am, I, nobody else is commenting. Am I, am I, have I, have I, am I, am I missing something or is everyone else perplexed as I am? I, I'm going to give it a minute to see if anyone else in the chat, cause I, cause now I'm, I'm afraid that I'm misreading, that I'm not hearing this correctly. This seems to be the, the gist of their argument. Hey, Romans 7.25, clearly a lost person can love God's law. Any first century Jew would have loved, any Old Testament Jew would have loved God's law, but clearly they were all lost. So in Psalm 1, 1, uh, so in Psalm 119, I'll just go Psalm 119, all of those things about God's law, that's written by a lost person. Is that what they're claiming? I, what, what just happened? I, I'm, I, 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 I don't get what I, I'm really, I'm just, I'm trying to think this through. I'm trying to think what just happened. The, the only way for their argument to work is that anyone, any, well, right, right, okay, right. Someone just says lost people don't heed God's law, but they're claiming they 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 loved it, but they couldn't keep it. So, th- but what they're trying to say is that a lost person is like uh, a lost person is, hey, they, they loved God's law, but they couldn't keep it. But when you become saved, now that you can keep it. But that, but to claim that the writer of Psalm one nineteen was an unregenerate person who wasn't saved is somewhat startling to me. At least it's startling to me. Okay, I'm just going to continue. I, I I almost feel like we need to back all of that up. I'm just, I'm just, I don't understand what's happened here. I, I I'm going to back it up a little bit. I I don't, I don't get what just happened here. This took a weird turn. For Andrew, you would say that. <laughs> like the whole point yeah. is not Paul talking about just an abstract non-believer. He's talking about. A, a Jew trying to be free from the law of Moses and finding it not having the power to liberate. Only the spirit can liberate from, from sin. Is that, I mean, yeah, for any sure. thoughts on that? So Will, Will Timmons has an article that says that 
the psalmist, Psalm 119, is the eyes, the, 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 the person here, his doppelganger. Because you see that Psalm 119 is, I love the law. Give me some more law. I can't get enough of your law. Yeah. Law, law, law. Love it, love it, love it. I want to rub, rub it all over me. Um, but, um, but, but, it, but he also has this idea that he can't obey the law. And it even ends with this confession. And so uh, I, I, the way I understand Romans 7 is this is a Jew who loved God's law, but he can't keep it because he's, he's not saved. And the example of that is Psalm 119. Because that's a lost, because if Psalm 119 is a saved person who loved God's law, then that doesn't help you with your interpretation of Romans 7. Uh, Wow, I, wow, 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 I, okay. He he argues that, um, if you want to understand Romans 7, you need to understand Psalm 119, where mm. you have this Jew who loves the law. But uh, this, and, and not, not just 119, but if you look at the history of Israel, uh, those who loved the law often failed to obey the law. <laughs> so, so, oh, so not just Psalm 119, everywhere in the Old Testament where people loved the law, but did not keep it, were lost. So the only people who are saved who those who love it and keep it. Oh, wow. Yeah, so David was lost. David didn't keep it. David seems to infer that he loved it, right? David it wrote most of the Psalms, so he seems to infer his love for God's law, but David didn't keep it, right? So, so I, I, I don't, I, I, okay. This, okay, this, I'm, I'm having a hard time here. This is one of those situations where you're reviewing something and all of a sudden something just happened. This is like one of those times where, okay, I can't speak for anybody else. And, and I'm not to make, I'm not trying to make light of this, but I don't really know how to explain my feelings right now. Have you ever been watching a movie and all of a sudden you're like, what just happened? Wait, 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 wait. That person was dead the whole movie. Wait, what just happened? Like all of a sudden everything, uh, you just like, you're completely blown away and you have to hit pause and you have to just walk around the house for like 30 minutes talking to yourself. Like, wow, what just, I cannot believe. I, I, we have been reviewing this for 48 minutes. Well, we've reviewed 48 minutes of audio. This is, we're working on five hours of working on this. And all of a sudden, I am so confused. Like, I literally don't know what, just, I could not have predicted this in a million years. I could not have predicted that for them, they are so committed to Romans 7, 14 through 25, being a lost person, that their, their hermeneutical argument is that lost Jews, that lost Jews, right, loved God's law so much, but they couldn't keep it. And so a good example of Romans 7, 14 through 25, is the psalmist who wrote Psalm 119, who loved God's law, but they couldn't keep it. In fact, as they just said, go through the entire Old Testament. You had all of these Jews who loved God's law, but they couldn't keep it. Inferring, but because they couldn't keep it, that they were lost. So David was lost. 
Abraham was, everybody was, everybody in the Old Testament, who kept the law in the Old Testament? Name one person. The only person to ever keep the law is God himself in Jesus Christ who came to earth to obey the law perfectly for us. The only way we obey it is in the imputed righteousness of Christ. What they're claiming is anyone who's saved keeps God's law. And I don't care how much they want to backtrack on this to keep God's law. You have to do it absolutely perfectly. No deviation. I, I, man. This has to be some weird, 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 weird minority position. If this is becoming, if this position is in any way gaining ground in the Christian church, I'm sorry. I no longer have a home in the Christian church. If this is going to become the way Christians think, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I don't know what you're going to call me because I can't be associated with that nonsense. This is this. Look. I try to be patient and understanding, but now this is, this has reached a level of like, I just, I'm an utter shock. I am, I'm, I'm an utter shock. I, I don't even know. I, they, I, 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 oh, that's true. Someone said that they, they're the majority view. That is true. Now, I hope they're wrong. I hope they're wrong. They claim that the majority of scholars agree with them. I, 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 I. How can I function in a Christianity that basically says, unless you keep the law, you're not saved? Because then I'm lost. I've been lost. I've not, I've spent my entire Christian life as a lost person. Because I can't keep the law. My, my hope was I can't keep it. But Christ did. That was what I thought was my hope. That's what I thought was, okay, praise God that I'm saved by an imputed righteousness because my practical righteousness is trash. Um, And so, uh, and then John Goodrich um, connects this passage of being sold as a slave to sin to Isaiah 49 and 50, where you're also going to have this cry of who's going to rescue me? Can God rescue me from this? And so those are two articles that seem to uh, really show how does God rescue us? Does God rescue us by imputing obedience and righteousness to me? Or does he rescue me by, in a sense, coming down going, man, you've been locked up. You've been chained. You haven't been able to obey. Watch this. I've got the key. I'm going to die. I guess the cross is the key. Click. Your chains let, it's been set free. Now, good. Go and go. You never have to sin again. No, in fact, your sin nature is gone. I've come to give you the the ability to obey the law. Did Christ come to save me because I could not save myself and and he saved me by imputing a righteousness to me? Or did Christ come to save me by making me able to keep the law? They are inferring clearly that what Christ came to do is save you by making you a, a... giving you the ability, making you able to keep the law. And you can do so perfectly because again, you can't, you can't have that we obey God's law, but don't do it perfectly because that's not obeying God's law. And they inferred that every person in the old Testament who loved the law, but didn't obey it, wasn't saved. All solidarity, his continuity that he has with these Jews who, 
have a frustration that they want to obey the law, but they can't because it hasn't been written on their heart yet to bring in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, the new covenant. Yeah. Also, uh, 18... 18 to me, again, is another, like, how, how can this be a believer for the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no, my translation says, ability to do it. What Christian, yeah. I mean, because we, we can say we've been overwhelmed by sin, conquered by sin. Well, I'm trying to use language care. We can say we've succumbed to sin and sin captivated us and bam, and we fell in and, you know, slept with somebody we shouldn't have or whatever, like, you know hit somebody in the face and we shouldn't, you know, bur- outbursts of anger. Like we, we, yes, we have that where we're like, ah, oh, sin overcame me, but we should never say I lack the ability. I, I didn't possess the ability to not sin. If you possess the ability not to sin, then that means you should, you have the ability to be perfect. What? what it, it's, it's like we're speaking two different languages. Okay, let, let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna speak slow. All right. And this is not because I'm trying to be sarcastic or being a smart aleck. But I'm gonna try to speak slow. If you possess the ability to not sin, then you possess the ability to be sinless. You possess the ability to be perfect. Since you are, since you can't be sinless, and since you can't be perfect, then you don't possess the ability. <laughs> it's as simple. All right. Someone just says those Jews uh, didn't uh, don't seem to have uh, that frustration, or do they? But I'm thinking of like the rich young ruler. Where was there a frustration? He couldn't obey. Was what is the majority idea here with Jews who weren't saved? I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know anything at this point. I I, I. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't understand. So 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 literally, there. This is the way they understand everything. Anyone who loves the law, so you can be lost and love the law. You can be lost and want to obey. The issue is, is your ability. What what determines salvation is one's ability to obey. If you possess the ability to obey the law of God, you are saved. If you don't possess the ability, you aren't saved. Ability. God saved us to make us able. But again, when you say able, you can't play this game. You're able, but you can't be perfect and you can't be sinless. No, that means there's a limit to my ability. And remember how this works. If I break one point of the law, I'm guilty of all of it. So I'm already in a perpetual state. Um, look, you may never, you, you just pick which 10 commandment that you say you will never, you will never commit. You've already committed it. You think of every Ten Commandments that you say you would never break. You've already broken it. Because as long as you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. So you are already guilty. You're like, I'm never going to break that commandment. You've already broken it. <laughs> That's the whole point. The, sta- the God's standard is so beyond any. You can take everything and go, I'm not going to, I'm not going to break that. I'm not going to commit that sin. I'm not going to. You've already committed all of them in some way, shape, or form. 
How can you say we have the ability? Uh, uh, right? I mean, that, yeah. that's just not, yeah. no Christian can yeah. say that theologically. Right. Wesley makes a quip that uh, with redemption like this, who needs bondage? <laughs> so are, are you? Are you- <laughs> with redemption like this, who needs bondage? Because the redemption is based off an imputed righteousness. What do you guys not understand about imputation? Do you, do you just reject imputation outright? This is straight up. You have been saved by an infused righteousness that gives you an ability to obey the law perfectly. Man. Well, same ability as lost folks. I guess so. Well, no, I guess they, they, no, I'll take it back. They wouldn't say that. What they're saying is the lost person can't obey, but we can. The difference between lost and saved is one's ability to obey. Once you once you're saved, then you can obey. I am, man. Are you telling me that he was a funny guy? I didn't know he was so yes. clever. Yeah, the the power of Jesus Christ is not enough to help us overcome our sin, and so it comes this idea that we can do all things through Christ except live a holy life. Uh, you know, Christ came to set us free from everything except for the power of sin that's ruling over us, and. So you can be holy. You just heard it, ladies and gentlemen. You, you just you, you you just heard it. We can be holy. Now remember, to, the minute he says we can live a holy life, let's understand a holy life means without sin, separate from sin, no sin. Your life is not holy even if there is one sin, even if there's a half of sin, even if there's a less than 1% amount of sin. Any sin is the opposite of holy. Holiness is separate other than. God is holy. So he's saying now that God saved you, God saved you, and now you can do it. Now, I understand the frustration. Now, now this is where I'll, I'll, I'll be a little bit more empathetic. I'll be a little bit more empathetic. I understand that frustration, right? Because I've said the same thing. Wait a minute. God saves us, and yet we continue to sin. God is indwelling us. We have the Holy Spirit, yet we continue to sin. I struggled with that my whole Christian life. It made no sense to me. Why do we keep sinning? Why do we keep sinning? Why do we keep sinning? Every time you turn around, this happened in a church. This happened in a church. This believer, this believer. Just listen to pastors tell stories about things going on in their churches. Sometimes you'll be like, dude, dude what was ha- what was happening? I've had people call me to tell me about some of their sins. And I'm like, wait, you did what? Where? With whom? What? Okay. I don't know if I even need to hear this, but they're trying to confess what they've done. And I'm like, what in the, what? Well, I, whoa, whoa, what just happened? What just happened? And, and guess what? Because sin is present. What they want to say is no, 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 no. Now they, they do admit that you can, I guess, fall into it. You can kind of be captured by it, but, but it's, it's, it, I don't know what you call it. It just happened, but you have the ability to never do it again. And you had the ability not to fall into it. So the bottom line is you're saved. You have the ability to keep God's law. And again, if you can say, if you say you have the ability to be holy and you say you have the ability to be, um, Keep God's law. I don't care how they want to play games later or if they're going to say but here at any point. They've already committed themselves. 
This would require sin nature is gone. And now Christians can be perfect. They, they, they have, they've already, they've made their bed. They have to live with that. I mean, I, they can say, no, 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 we're not saying that. If you're not saying that your entire argument is then you've destroyed your entire argument. Your entire argument is we don't have to sin because we have the ability to be perfect. And how do you know you're saved? Your ability, your ability, not, not your love for God's law because a lost person can love God's law. The, the author of Psalm 119 was a sinner. The, the, or I'm sorry, the author of one night of, the author of Psalm 119 was an unregenerate lost person. I mean, they, that's literally the, the basis of their argument. So you can love God's law as much as the psalmist loved it, who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but was still lost. You can love it. So you can read Psalm 1. So Psalm 119 can describe a lost person. <laughs> Wrap your mind around that today. Psalm 119 literally is described. Anyone who's ever read Psalm 119, you're like, whoa, man, I am so convicted by this. That is not me. That, but that was written by a lost person, ladies and gentlemen. That describes a lost person. All of that love for God's law in Psalm 119 was a lost person. So your love for God's law is irrelevant. What, what matters is you love it and then you can obey it and you can obey it perfectly. Now, I, I used to struggle with these same things that they struggled with. Like, it makes no sense. Why do I keep sinning? And then finally, I realized, wait a minute. Salvation wasn't a salvation to give me an ability to never sin, salvation was an imputed righteousness given to me and accrediting to, to me perfect righteousness because I will never obey perfectly. I will fall short continually. And then understanding the difference between imputed righteousness, practical righteousness, or my position in Christ and my practical life. So yeah, it's it, 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 it's quite absurd uh, for me. And again, not to make light of the battle and the struggle with sure. it. I feel that I fall to sin, but that's not who we're. Wait a minute. Not to make light of the str struggle and battle with sin and you still fall. Why are you falling? You. They just made an entire argument whether we have the ability and now they turn around and he's like, he's like not, not to make light of the struggle. What struggle? Where could the struggle be coming from? And you're still falling into sin? How can you fall into sin? Christ moved in and kicked sin out per your own words. Sin no longer dwells inside of you. So why are you struggling and falling? Wow. Supposed to be. I um, mean, so it still remains. I um, mean, uh, there are times that we fall to it, but God is. It still remains. You said Jesus kicked it out. You said in this program that we're the boss over it. So how is it? Where, where is it still remain? I, I'm sorry. I'm just I, now I'm just getting now I'm just getting frustrated now. OK, now I'm not I'm not being of any value to anyone. Someone just asked, is this what double-minded is? I don't know what this is. This is crazy. He can't, he can't hear himself. Man, 
I just made it sound like that there's no sin. And now, I, well, but wait, I got to admit that I still sin. So he's still got to admit that he still sins because he's like, someone who knows me is going to hear this. Clearly, I still sin. Clearly, sin still remains. Clearly, we still struggle. But, 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 no, no, no. Sin's been removed. Sin's been kicked out. We can say no to it. We have the ability to be perfect. How, I, I don't know how you even in any rational mind, the, this is the kind of stuff that when I ever talk to maybe certain atheists or agnostics, would they mock Christianity? They're like, you're out of your minds. You say the most contradictory, ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. You're ridiculous. Well, I, It, we sin, but it's not sin making me sin. It's something else, I guess. I guess. But but not only do we sin, but why do we continue to sin if we have the ability to not sin and be perfect? What's causing us to sin? Sin's been kicked out. So it's something else. I don't know what it is. Oh, I know what it is. It's probably Netflix or, I don't know, music, video games. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Faithful, and he always provides the way out. So no temptation has seized us except what is common. And when we face that temptation, God is going to provide the way out. He's going to lead us from that. And so uh, for, for many times when I. So if every time we, we are tempted, God's going to lead us out, then that means we would never fall to any temptation. And you say, well, no, 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 we could choose. Why would we choose not to follow Christ if all the sin inside of us has been kicked out? Sin is not because I. Uh, have to sin. It's because I choose to sin. I know that I can walk away from it. I know that I can let Christ get the door, but mm -hmm. I choose to open it anyway. All right. So, so we only, so we sin now simply because we choose to sin because we don't have to sin. We don't have to sin. We just choose. But why would we choose if sin has been removed? What is causing us to choose sin? And so if, if, if let's say, let's say we have a hundred people, let's say 95 of them always seem to choose sin over and over and over. There should be at least five out of a hundred who choose to never sin and are perfect. Could you please send me their email? I mean, you've got to know that. I mean, you got to know. I, I, all right, let's just finish this. I, I, I'm, I'm so done with this. I am. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really, this, this has just become maddening. What, what, here's Mike. What about what we now know about the neurology of addictions? No, wait a minute. So someone just made a point and he, if he chooses to sin, then that would mean he doesn't love God perfectly. Because if he loved God perfectly, why would he choose sin? So there would already be a sin. There would already be a sin before he sinned, right? Let's say, let's say whatever the sin is, right? We'll just say, we'll say pornography, all right? All right, so here's pornography. I'm holding a, it's a devotional. It's not a pornographic magazine. It's a devotional, but we're going to pretend for illustration's sake, it's a pornographic magazine. Here's por pornographic magazine. I know it's dated. Okay. A pornographic website. Where's an iPad? Here's my iPad. All right. All right. Pornographic website right here on my iPad. All right. Here it is. Okay. And oh man, ugh. he chooses to look at it and commit lust and sin. All right. But guess what? Why did he choose to do that? 
Well, he would be choosing to do that because obviously he doesn't love God perfectly because if he loved God perfectly and if he feared God perfectly, he wouldn't choose the pornography. So he was already in sin before he ever looked at the porn. The sin that ultimately led to the porn was he didn't love God perfectly, meaning he was already in sin. <laughs> right? Man, I, I'm having a hard time following this. Okay, I, I, I close my iPad out. I'm going to see if I can get back in really quick. All right, here we go. Someone said it makes no sense at all. I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I'm glad I'm not the only one. All right? Yeah. And let me just – so the only time I've experienced like what I would consider an addiction was um, a few years – both pre-conversion and post-conversion, I was I was addicted to nicotine, I chewing Ooh, tobacco, yeah. like a baseball player. Right, right. And I remember like just being so it was almost robotic. Like I, I just couldn't not put a dip in. I couldn't imagine that the the thought of like um having a conversation at night with my buddies in my apartment and not having a dip in, it was like I couldn't do it. Like I just yeah. It was almost like it was – that's the only word I can use, like robotic. Like my brain was just so rewired. And now – I mean that was like 25 years ago. And mm -hmm. even I had my first year, my I, I came to Christ. And even for that first year, it was still there. And then it really was kind of a miraculous – like I don't know. Like I got sick. I was really sick for a week. And when you're sick, even if you're addicted to nicotine, you typically like lay off it. And then after that week, I'm like, oh, I got a week under my belt. I probably should quit this habit. And it, it was pretty grueling, but it – you know. I got free from it. So maybe, maybe that, <laughs> but you know, even today, you know, you talk to genuine solid Christians who are addicted mm -hmm. to porn, drugs, alcohol, yeah. um, whatever. And like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now they're saying that they are solid Christians who are addicted to porn. I am so confused. So they're addicted to porn because they choose to be. But if they're choosing to be, then they clearly don't love God and they don't fear God. So then if they don't truly love God with all their heart, mind, body, and soul, and they don't fear God the way they're supposed to, and they're addicted to porn, you're still saying they're a believer. Well, if they're a believer, that means they're probably struggling with guilt about looking at the porn. It sounds like you're getting ready to describe, I don't know, Romans 7, 14 through 25. I, would, I can only imagine um, what that would be. Be like I, I could pastorally, I could pastorally see where this passage. It doesn't mean this is what Paul's saying, but like I could see some resonance here, where where it's not just a you know Bob Newhart, you know, stop it or choose right or whatever. Yeah. It's like no, there's something yeah. deeper ne neurologically mm -hmm. going on here, where you you yeah. are just a Bob Newhart reference. Where in the world did that come from? Okay, that that's a blast from the past. One of the greatest seri television series finales of all time. The last episode of Bob Newhart was one of the best last episodes of anything ever. No, no, that doesn't matter. But okay. But I'm trying to find something positive that they say. They mentioned Bob Newhart. Okay. At least that 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 series finale was was the best ever. All right. But I digress. Have been through bad choices over the years, but almost now it's just become, you know overcome by by sin you know where it's not just a struggle it's like all right i'm gonna choose choose not to it's like well it's more than just a raw choice like so a christian can be overcome by sin i am so confused they've spent 
53 minutes telling us, no, 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 you're set free, you're set free. The, the, the Bible never describes a Christian being carnal or overcome with sin, and now you're literally just saying that there can be solid Christians overcome by sin. Yeah. Is that, I don't know, have you wrestled with that? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, for especially sure. for people yeah. listening that are like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's me. I, I, it's yeah. not like I want to. I just, I, I feel like something is taking control of my brain. You hear what he almost just said? Hey, for those who are listening who may go, hey, you know, I don't want. <laughs> he got ready to describe a Christian saying, I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> he literally getting ready to use Romans 7, 14 through 25 language after they've spent uh, almost an hour saying that it's not about lost people. It's not about saved people. He just got ready to use that language to describe a saved person who's like, I, I don't want to sin. <laughs> Even they can't deny the reality. And I can't not do this thing. Yeah. And, and if that is that person, uh, I want them to understand God's grace, his compassion, and his love um, is smothered over this. And God doesn't want them to continue to walk in that addiction. I don't think Romans 7 is talking about neurological um, <laughs> addiction, but, I, but, but that is a real thing in our world today. And so in the last chapter, I have a so what. Um, so if you are a believer and Romans 7 is your experience, rather than Romans 6 and 8. What do you need to do? And uh, I always avoid alliteration <clears throat> as a Baptist, but um, I have uh, four alliterations here. So, And the first one is just, <clears throat> excuse me, is cl- clarity, clarifying, um, understanding, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, uh, knowing that. So someone who's overcome with sin, well, look, I'll let him go through his literation here or whatever, this, you know, clarity, what, however he's going to do this. If he does not mention that you get, like, to me, the number one thing, someone who's experiencing this, this struggle where they are doing what they don't want to do and they're struggling. You know what I would say to them? Because your salvation is based off an imputed righteousness. I would give them the sweetness of the gospel. I would give them the imputed righteousness. If he doesn't give them imputed righteousness, this is a straight up denial of the gospel. I don't care what they say. They have literally obliterated everything because they've yet to mention imputed righteousness. Well, this would be the time to say, you see that person is struggling. See what they're worried about. The person is continuing to struggle. I've got to get them to stop doing it, right? It's all about change of action, not about them resting in the comfort and the peace and the hope of an imputed righteousness where their sins are completely washed away. It's God that works in that side of us. Is our, is our frustration a temptation or is it, is it sin itself? And because, again, Augustine's going to say that, yeah, we're going to get frustrated with having to say no, um, but that's the difference between being enslaved to sin. Um, and so we need to clarify that sense. Also clarify that, you know what, it may be that we have more freedom today than we did yesterday. And so when Luther, to bring back his response to you saying that the Christian can't do any good, he says, well, what Paul really means is that the Christian can't do as much good, as good as he would like he or she would like. And so I'm like, okay, sure. That's fine. I know that I can't do as much good as I want, but that doesn't mean I can't do any good. And so, uh, so now he's even admitting that you can't, he can't be perfect. So I don't understand. An hour of telling me that we're free, we're free, we're free. Sin has been kicked out. Jesus moved in. We can say no to sin. And now he just acknowledged that we can't do as much good as we would like. Meaning 
that we are under the control of something else. Uh, Socrates says that the unexamined life is not worth living. I would say the unexamined faith is not worth having. So examine your faith. And when you actually look at your life, you may see that the spirit of God, the counseling that you have and uh, the friends that you have and the confession that you've been given has given that you're closer now than you were yesterday than you were a year ago. And so finding that clarity, understanding what actually is the problem, why am I doing that? Uh, Another important thing that we see in the early church is confession. Um, And it's not like the confession like, oh, yeah, um, I did something bad last night. Or again, growing up as a Baptist, um, I have an unspoken prayer request. Uh, In in the early church, uh, and Scott McKnight talks about this in his uh, James commentary, uh, it was specific. It was detailed. Um, they, 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 and the more specific it is. And so as Protestants, as reformers, we've lost this, um, idea of really confessing. I just confess to, to God and it, it's, it's harder for me to confess to you a sin that I've done, uh, which seems odd, right? Because yeah. you're a sinner just like me. You know me more. Um, now we're back to being sinners. How can you say we're sinners when you said sin has been kicked out? And we're, we're, I don't, this is maddening. You know what this reminds me of? This is this, I'll I'll tell this story. All right. It's like one o'clock in the morning, one, two o'clock in the morning, Erling Berquist Regional Hospital, Nebraska. I get a call. Hey, we need you to come up to the mental health clinic. We got an issue. All right. So I go up to the mental health clinic. Now, they don't bother to give me any indication of what the issue is, right? They're like, hey, we need you to go in and we got we to get this person admitted, but we're having some difficulties. So we need you to go talk to the person. And I'm like, okay. So I go in to talk to the person, right? And the person starts talking to me and they're talking kind of like a, a little girl voice, right? Little girl voice. Like, hi, my, my name is, I can't remember. It was like Sally, right? And, and uh, I'm, I'm like, I, I guess she was like 12 or 13, uh, and I'm looking at her. I'm like, this is like a woman, right? And then she's and she's giving me her name. She's giving me a birth date. It's really like weird. And I'm like, I'm writing all this down, right? I'm writing all of this down. Like, okay, I guess I'll 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 get this for the admission, right? I mean, what is happening? Like, so, but I was just gonna write it all down and go on. Like, where's the person's par- parents? What's going on? And so I came out and they said, so who did you admit? And I'm like, Sally, 13, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, well, give it a couple of minutes. So we sat there and they they wouldn't tell me what's going on. I kept saying, what's going on? Like, just wait, just wait. Okay, go back and go back and uh, admit the person. And so I go back in to talk to the person. And all of a sudden it was like, hi, my name is Dave. And I'm like, wait, what? What is happening, right? So this uh, person was obviously suffering some schizophrenic multi-personality kind of disorder, but it was so disorienting, so confusing, like, wait, you're this, wait, now you're this, wait, you're this. That's what this is reminding me of. Like they spent all of this time that no, 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 Jesus kicks sin out. You can say no to sin. You, you are completely set free. You can do all things in Christ. You can do this. There is no reason to sin at all. And then he just turns around all of a sudden, like speaking in a completely different voice, like, no, no, no. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner. We sin. We can't be as good as we want to be. Wait, you can't be as good as you want to be? You said that you can literally stop sinning. And if you, if you can't be as good as you want to be, that seems you're telling me that what you want to do, you can't do. And the things you don't want to do, you do. But you just told me Romans 7, 14 through 25 isn't about a saved person, but about lost people. This is literally like I'm sitting there admitting a person whose entire voice 
everything changes. And it's like, it's, it, it was the most bizarre thing I'd ever encountered. And I'm like, clearly this person, and they, they knew that they were messing with me. They wanted me to encounter it. And I'm like, whoa, what is happening here? It goes from a 14 year old girl to a, a grown man. Like, this is crazy. This is what this is like. It's like, I'm listening to, I don't know how many different people, there's two people here, but there's really like seven personalities. And they're all saying things that are utterly contradicting each other. And they can't even hear the own contradiction in their own head. And they're yet to point at anyone struggling with sin. They're yet to point them to the gospel. They're yet to point them to imputed righteousness. They've made it 55 minutes and not once mentioned imputed righteousness. Then the holy transcendent God. But I think it's um, God inside of you in the flesh, me confessing specifically what I've done is what leads to that freedom. And so it's interesting that James ends his uh, commentary, uh, sorry, his uh, letter. Why would confession lead to freedom? You're already free. You've already told us that you just don't have to sin ever again. So why would I even confess it? I would just be like, why confess it? I'd be like, okay, I'm just never doing that again. We're talking about the importance of confession, confession, confession. And so I think if we believers put just as much value in confessing our sins as we do um, preaching the gospel, um, our evangelism, whatever it may be, then we would have more freedom from that. And Why would we need to focus on confessing sin when we don't have to sin? Why would we need an entire structure for confession when no one has to sin because we've been completely set free and sin no longer lives inside of us? And Romans 7, 14 through 25, that's the experience of an unbeliever because a believer doesn't struggle like that. So it needs to be more like Chunk on the Goonies. Do you remember? Yeah. Exactly. And Chunk, yeah, they, they hold him down and he like, Tell, tell us what all bad that you did. And he like goes back and says, you know, well, not my sister down the stairs. And this one time I went to the to the theater and I had this fake puke and I threw it down. And it was the worst thing I ever did. And so I, I think that's the kind of, and so Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Life Together, the, one of the best ways to get through Romans 7 to Romans 8, if you will, is to um, read Life Together. And he talks about the, the vital importance of confession. And so mm. if you're struggling with that, have you confessed mm. it to someone uh, specifically? Another. Why are you struggling? You've spent an hour telling us we don't have to struggle because sin has been removed. Like, it, Don't you just feel like all of a sudden we just entered into a different podcast? Like all of a sudden some weird personality disorder, split personality, schizophrenia, something weird has just happened here. The thing that maybe relates to you is cultivating godliness. So uh, we see that godliness doesn't just happen. We have to train ourselves for righteousness. And so Paul writes to Timothy and says, hey, I want you to set an example in, in speech and in life and all these things, but you have to do it by training yourself for godliness. And so there's a training exercise that comes involved with this. Um, Seneca, my, my boy, I have to mention him at least once per podcast, right? Um, he, he talks about that when, when it comes to people training for virtue, you have three different uh, types of people. The first type is those who... They, they don't need anybody to train them. They're just self-motivated. They get up at 4 a.m. and go for a run for 20 miles. And, you know, it's easy for them. Um, and most people of us, we're not like that. Um, instead, what we need is a running partner, someone that mm. uh, we get up out of the bed because I know Preston's waiting for me uh, to, to, to start that run. And we need someone that has that accountability, someone to spot us uh, when we need mm. that. And he says the last. Why do we need an accountability partner? Jesus kicked sin out 
And they've already acknowledged that we supposedly have the power of the Holy Spirit, which gives us strength. So the thing that causes weakness is gone, and the thing that gives strength is present. But I need confession and an accountability partner, and I've got to train myself in righteousness? Why? What am I struggling against? There is no struggle. You've already said Romans 7, 14 through 25 doesn't describe the life of a believer, but an unbeliever. What am I struggling with? Of those, which is the majority of people who want to uh, strive for virtue um, and to overcome their flesh, is we need someone who is like a personal trainer or even like a drill sergeant that barks us out of bed and that uh, pushes us beyond. And so um, I think clarification. We need a drill sergeant? They, they literally have yet to point anyone to the gospel. Yeah, no, no. Look, you're, but it's so weird because they've told us we shouldn't struggle. Now they're acknowledging the struggle, but in the struggle, we still don't even get the imputed righteousness of Christ. We still don't get that. We still, we, we have to struggle. We need a drill sergeant. We need someone to yell at us. Come on, get up, do better. Come on, come on. Do better. I, I can't say what a drill sergeant would really say because, well, I was in the military. It, it's not pretty. Okay, but it, like, that's what you need. You just need a drill sergeant. You need a drill sergeant so that you will choose not to sin because you don't have to sin because you don't have a sin nature because Christ is on the throne. But sometimes you choose to sin. But if you have a drill sergeant, you'll stop choosing to sin. And you don't even need imputed righteousness because Jesus obviously did nothing for you. Well, I mean, he did. He caused you where you don't have to sin, but you still sin. So you need a drill sergeant. Confession and then cultivating. Those are three things that can help most people get to Romans 8. Um, Again, it's not going to happen overnight for most. So you need these things to get to Romans 8. So the way you get to Romans 8 is you've got to work and work and struggle and work and you need a drill sergeant and you need an accountability partner and you need, you need, well, I thought I could just choose not to do it. So even Jesus in me can't get me to Romans 8. Jesus in me can't get me to Romans 8. What will get me to Romans 8 is confession, training, and an accountability partner and a drill sergeant people um, but it's that 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 process that we're inching along and getting that but bringing specifically to your point uh, the uh the, the last c is uh counseling um unfortunately mm-hmm. when we were growing up at least so, so the c we need is counseling we don't need christ we don't need his imputed righteousness we need counsel why would i need counseling i can just choose to i need a counselor to convince me to choose to stop sinning that's what i gotta get a get account and the counselor's got to come in what's your problem just choose to stop. Just choose to stop. You don't have to do this. Well, so I, I need a counselor and I need a drill sergeant. If the drill sergeant can't scream at me enough, then I need a counselor to convince me enough. In my context, counseling was, you know, the head shrinker was a bad thing. But yeah, fortunately too. today yeah. we're, we're embracing counseling and therapists. And um, if, if, Confession just to a brother, that may not be enough. You need to go to a professional counselor um, if you're dealing with a sexual date. <laughs> okay. 
That may be the best comment. Someone just said, we need what every lost person might need for their issues. You're right. We need what every lost person needs, right? We got to have an accountability partner. We need training. We need a drill sergeant. We need counseling. We need everything that a lost person needs, but we don't really need it because we have Christ and we have the Holy Spirit and Christ empowers us, but his power is so pathetic that we need all of these other things to get us to Romans 8. Our uh, addiction to uh, chemicals or whatever it may be um, that that we have that that importance of uh, God. We, we don't have a problem going to a, a medical doctor and seeing God help us out through the medical doctor. So also, how much more if we're dealing with a mental illness or addiction mm-hmm. should we go and allow God to work through those? And so, um, yeah, I, that, that that would be my my point. If, if, you, if you have an addiction, go go. Oh, that's good. I'm so glad you didn't bring up Jesus, and I'm so glad you didn't bring up the gospel, and I'm so glad you didn't bring up imputed righteousness, because, I mean, we don't want to sound like a Christian podcast or anything. We want to make sure we just give them self-help program that's, you know, everywhere. Go to counseling, because God has will work through them. Do you have a title and publication date of your book? So again, Joey's writing or has written. Did you finish it or you're? you're... Yeah, it, I'm waiting for Michael Gorman's uh, Romans commentary. I ordered it. So I want to work it in okay. and then I'll send it off to uh, Mike Bird and Derek uh, Brown. They're the uh, editors uh, oh, okay. for it. It's in the Lexum Snapshot series. Hurtado did the first one, uh, Shriner, um, uh, Da Silva, and, and then mine's in that list with it. The title right now, and if any of your listeners or you can help me out, I'm not just overjoyed with it. It's uh, the things I want to do, reframing Romans 7. Um, okay. So I wanted to do like, um, I grew up listening to White Snake. Do you remember his first song? So here we go again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the- <laughs> Here we go again was not White Snake's first song. Okay. That- All right. I'll just, oh, man. Musical crimes spoken of by Christians. The- when scholars talk about the I, the Greek word is ego. So I want to do something like, here we go again, rather than here we go again, but too dad joke-ish. I know it's too uh, silly, but uh, <laughs> I'm a father now, so I can uh, make dad jokes for sure. But yeah, yeah so the things, the things I want. Oh, trust me. This whole podcast has been one bad dad joke. This podcast has been one bad, horrible, horrible, philological joke. I want to do colon. Uh, reframing Romans seven. You think and you, you think it'll be out this time next year? I hope so. I'm not quite sure how quick the turn. Let's hope it never comes out. Around yeah. is with like some, slow these but days. I'd, I'd love yeah. it to be out. Um, okay, uh, at the end of this year, if not the beginning of next year. If anybody still needs to be more convinced of this reading, for me, uh, I mean, I've, we've already. Uh, I, I think we've given some big arguments. We didn't deal with the pushbacks, but I'll, you got to go get your kid. But. Um, Try writing out or typing out uh, Romans 7.14 through Romans 8.11. Get rid of the verses. Get rid of the paragraph breaks. And just read it twice. That's it. Yeah. Do that. And if you still think that Romans 7.14 to 25 is talking about a believer, then read it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice. But I'm starting to get a little ticked off. How about you just listen to this podcast twice that you guys just did where you ended up 
proving Romans 7, 14 through 25 is the experience of saved people because you went through a litany of things that we need to supposedly overcome a sin that we has been kicked out by Jesus. And what do we ultimately need? We need counseling, a drill sergeant, accountability, and confession. We need a self-help program. And you never once pointed anyone to Jesus and his finished work. But yet you're going to act all condescending that just read Romans 7, 14 to Romans 8, 11, And it's obvious. It's obviously not obvious because you ultimately admitted that you still sin and you still struggle and you still can't be what you want to be. Meaning you can't do what you want to do and you keep doing what you don't want to do, which is exactly what Romans 7, 14 through 25 says. <laughs> like that, that contrast, like. Right. The, the chapter break is terrible. Like the contrast, it's one mainstream of thought, 714 to 811, and that 81 to 11 is obviously describing a believer. But the very language there is, I think, <laughs> you think, playing off of what he just said previously. So, yeah, Joey, thanks me, so much me, for coming on the more. podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. Some... One more book re- recommendation. Yeah. So edited by Terry Wilder. It's four perspectives. So if you enjoy the point counterpoint type. Oh, um, yeah reading uh, it's four views on Romans 7 or four perspectives on Romans 7 Grant Osborne does the traditional post conversion um, although I think it's a bit nuanced and I, and I I like it um, Stephen Chester um, looks at the pre-conversion Paul which is the way- okay there you go you can look up the four perspectives on Romans 7 <sighs> my thing is I, I don't care if there's 700 perspectives here they've had an hour to convince us. And isn't it amazing that after an hour, they still had to admit that Christians sin, we struggle, we can't do what we want to do, we still do what we don't want to do, and we have to have training, we need confession, we need accountability, we need a drill sergeant, and we could possibly need counseling. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I'm just, I, I don't even know what to, that was, I'm telling you, I, I just had flashbacks to being in that, the mental health floor uh, at Erling Berkowitz Hospital and, uh, off at Air Force Base. I mean, the hospital wasn't located on the base, but it was the military hospital, it was a regional hospital. And trying to admit a person who was like, wait, they went from a little girl to a, to a grown man. It was, it was this weird craziness. And that's what they felt like that they were made one argument and then completely contradicted it. And, and, and listen, I understand the scriptures have this tension that appears to be a contradiction. That's why the way, the only way to understand it is what I am in Christ Jesus because of imputed righteousness and what I am in practice. I am a saint who's perfect, a new creature, old is gone, everything is new. I am without sin. I'm holy. I'm free. I'm perfect. That's my position in Christ. In practice, I have an old nature and I sin and I sin and I struggle and I struggle and I will never be perfect and I will always be a slave to this body of sin until I have a new body and a a glorified body where there'll be no more pain, no more sickness, and no more, uh, no more pain, suffering, or death. And my only hope for, for that ultimate work and for my the imputed work is Jesus Christ. And when someone is struggling in sin and they keep follow, falling, what they need first and foremost is the comfort of knowing that in Christ Jesus, in their position, they're forgiven and they are perfect and they can rest in that. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, 
newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I'm sorry this went one hour and 26 minutes, but I could not bring myself to doing another stop and doing another part. I could not bring myself. I had to bring this to an end. We may do some more work on Romans 7, but man, no matter how good their arguments were, in their minds, they gave these amazing arguments. I don't think they gave anything, but even let's say all of their arguments were great and amazing. By the time it ended, they ended up acknowledging the reality of Romans 7, 14 through 25 for believers. They destroyed their own argument because reality has a way of doing that, right? Charismatic, who claims healing is guaranteed, reality constantly proves you wrong, right? Person who proves that we can be sinless and without sin, reality constantly proves you wrong. Reality has a way of doing that. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.